0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And as promised yesterday, we finally have a copy of Elon Musk and Twitter's merger agreement. So if you haven't been following the story, you can check out our Elon Musk buyout of Twitter playlist to get all the details on how this has happened for the past really only month or so. But The devil is in the details, and now we finally have some SEC filings that talk just a little bit about what those details are. Now, this is a very long document. I think it's 71 pages in full legalese, so if your eyes glaze over just with me talking about terms and conditions, I am going to try to do a summary here at the top before diving into a little bit more detail. But overall, we don't need to read every word of this thing to understand what was done. And so we're going to take it with that particular tact, summaries, and understanding what's occurred without diving into all the many reasons the corporate lawyers get paid so very much money to put these documents together. So in this SEC filing, we've got a summary. On April 25th, 2022, the parties entered into an agreement and plan of merger with Twitter surviving the merger and becoming a wholly owned subsidiary. Of parent, I'm going to talk a little bit more about these terms when we get to the document itself, but suffice it to say, this is the reverse triangular merger that we anticipated when we looked at some of the briefer summaries in the foregoing playlist episodes. Twitter's board of directors, as we noted before, unanimously determined that the transactions contemplated by the merger agreement are in the best interests of Twitter and its stockholders. So you have a unanimous board approving this deal. And under the merger agreement, at the effective time of the merger, when this thing closed, whenever that actually is, every share of Twitter common stock will be canceled and converted into the right to receive $54.20 in cash. And I know a number of you have continued to ask me, hey, if I own Twitter shares, do I have to take this deal? And the answer is yes. Corporations run on democratic principles, meaning by majority vote of the common stock. So the board approves this deal, says, hey, stockholders... You should approve it as well, and if the stockholders approve the deal at a fifty percent plus one share level, then they obligate all of the stockholders to come along with. You turn in your stock, you get your fifty four twenty per share, and that's it. Now we also get a few other summary items here about equity based awards. This would be the awards that were given to employees at the company it says hey, if you're vested in those awards, you get the merger consideration multiplied by however many shares that award is worth. If you're not vested, then you'll get a cash amount, the merger consideration for those shares, but it will be held back so that you can vest in them after this purchase is completed. If you don't understand vesting, all you really need to know is that awards, stock options, things like that can have certain restrictions on them. You can't exercise them. You don't receive the stock until You've worked there for a year or until the company has a certain earnings threshold over a quarter, something along those lines. And all this is saying is, hey, if you have those awards, you're still going to get paid, although the cash might be held up a little bit depending on what your vesting status was. That's really the same for options, with the only note there being, if your exercise price for an option is more than the merger consideration you would receive, it'll just be canceled instead because it's not worth enough. To you. So if you got a stock option that says, hey, you can purchase a share of Twitter stock for $100 and you would only receive $54.20 in merger consideration, we're just going to automatically cancel that for you because any logical, rational person looking at that would say, yeah, I'm not going to exercise this option in this context. So that can just go away. Then we get the summary that says, hey, it's subject to customary closing conditions. We talked about that a little bit Yesterday, The big one here is approval of the merger agreement by Twitter's stockholders. That will be a process that happens in the next month or two uh, that we will, of course, follow on this channel. The second is the expiration or termination of the waiting period under the United States Hart-Scott-Rodino Antitrust Improvements Act of 1976 as amended and clearance under the antitrust and foreign investment laws of the United States and certain non-United States jurisdictions, which we will see as an exhibit at the end of this agreement, but suffice it to say, it means that you'll clear the regulatory review for antitrust purposes that we discussed in yesterday's video. The third is the absence of any law or order by a governmental authority of the United States or those other jurisdictions that has the effect of rendering illegal or prohibiting consummation of the merger. If the United States Congress passes a law that says this transaction can't happen before it actually happens, well then. That will, in fact, kill the deal. You can't have a deal that operates illegally at the time of closing. There will then be customary representations, warranties, and covenants made by each of Twitter parent, acquisition sub, and for purposes of certain provisions, Mr. Musk, including covenants by Twitter regarding the conduct of its business prior to the closing of the merger. We'll get back to that because that is actually reflective of some fairly interesting news stories over the past couple of days, but representations and warranties, if you aren't familiar with them, those are just promises. That's legalese for promises. So we'll take a look at those sections in the contract itself, but basically Twitter has to promise certain things about how its company exists, how it operates, that it can sign the documents, etc. And the same goes for parent, which is X Holdings 1, and I'll put a picture up of this uh, as well, and acquisition sub, which is X Holdings 2, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of X Holdings 1. Like I said, we'll get to it, but For purposes of this conversation, everybody has to make promises to each other about what they are and what they can do for purposes of this merger. Beginning on the date of the merger agreement, Twitter is also subject to customary no-shop restrictions pursuant to which the company may not, among other things, solicit or engage in negotiations for another deal, right? And the biggest thing there is the solicit. Twitter can't go out and look for somebody else to buy them, but they can answer calls that come in and that's really a function of their fiduciary duties right a board of directors when we've talked about it in this space has an obligation to look at what's in the best interest of the stockholders and it doesn't just mean that the first person to offer them money is necessarily the winner now certainly this is all set up in this merger agreement to say elon musk should be the one to buy twitter the board has approved the deal but if someone were to just come out of the woodwork and say, no, not fifty-four 20. I'll offer $75 a share. Well, then the board has to take that seriously, regardless of what this contract says. And there's honestly a lot of legal precedent on this because the board is operating in the shadow of a takeover. And so they have to have heightened fiduciary duties to their stockholders because there are these conflicts of interest. The board is very likely to lose their jobs, management very likely to lose their jobs on a takeover. So they have to be allowed to look at all potential options. And so if one were to come in, if Bill Gates were to just say, actually, I'd like to double that purchase price, they would have to take that seriously. And that's always incorporated into a deal of this type. Either Twitter or Parent, Parent being Elon Musk for purposes of this conversation, may terminate the merger agreement if, among certain other circumstances, the merger has not been consummated on or before October 24th, 2022. They gave themselves six months to close this deal with one caveat. There can be another six-month extension all the way out to April of 2023 if the only thing preventing them from closing is antitrust review because they don't control that. That's a third party looking at potential competitive problems from this purchase. Neither Twitter nor Elon Musk controls that process. so They do have one six-month extension if they're otherwise ready to go, but they're waiting on the FTC. They're waiting on the EU. They're waiting on somebody else. Twitter may terminate the merger agreement in certain additional limited circumstances, including, as I just mentioned, to allow Twitter to enter into a definitive agreement for a competing acquisition proposal that constitutes a superior proposal. The board got something, looks at it, and says, actually, this is better for our stockholders. They can terminate. Upon termination of the merger agreement under specified limited circumstances, Twitter will be required to pay parent. Twitter will owe Elon Musk a termination fee of $1 billion. Specifically, this termination fee is payable by Twitter to Elon Musk because Twitter terminates the merger agreement to allow Twitter to enter into a definitive agreement for a competing acquisition proposal that constitutes a superior proposal. So you're allowed to put a bit of a penalty provision on the board actually exercising its fiduciary duties here. And this is normal as well. Uh, It has to be reasonable. It has to be representative of the time and resources and commitment. That the parties have put into it but a billion dollars seems about right it certainly seems market standard we saw uh, i believe between two and three billion dollars in microsoft and activision obviously a bigger deal this is about 44 billion all in which is inclusive of elon's current ownership and the microsoft deal is just a little bit under 70 billion so everything's lining up as we would expect from market terms here or if parent terminates the merger agreement because the board recommends that Twitter stockholders vote against the adoption of the merger agreement or in favor of any competing acquisition proposal. So the general rule here is that the board's adopted this agreement and the board is supposed to recommend this agreement for adoption by the shareholders, but maybe they change their mind. Maybe they do something weird. And so this is designed to protect Elon Musk's efforts and the company Twitter would owe him $1 billion if they did these things. This termination fee will also be payable by Twitter to parent in the event that generally a competing acquisition proposal for uh, control of Twitter has been publicly announced. The merger agreement is terminated because Twitter stockholders fail to adopt the merger agreement with Elon. And within 12 months of the termination of the merger agreement, Twitter enters into that agreement with the competitor. So if there's a whole sequence of events here that results in a competing proposal happening Within a year tail period after this agreement were to die, Twitter might also owe Elon Musk a billion dollars. Now, Twitter negotiated for itself as well. Elon Musk might owe them a billion dollars when, specifically, this termination fee is payable by parent to Twitter if the merger agreement is terminated by Twitter because the conditions to parents and acquisition subs obligations to consummate the merger are satisfied and the parent fails to consummate the merger as required pursuant to the merger agreement. So this is a troll provision. If everything is otherwise set up and Elon Musk comes to the final negotiating table to sign off on closing and says, nah, he owes Twitter a billion dollars. Or if parent or acquisition subs breaches its representations, warranties, or covenants in a manner that would cause the related closing condition to not be satisfied. So they breach the agreement somehow, probably most likely related to debt financing in some respect, then he also would owe Twitter a billion dollars. Interestingly, what you don't see here is any kind of penalty payment for the regulators, for that antitrust concern. We do see that pretty prominently in Microsoft and Activision, where if the regulators block this thing, Microsoft owes Activision a huge amount of money, uh, somewhere between two and three billion dollars. That really wasn't contemplated here. And that goes along with what we saw yesterday and earlier in this playlist, that the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk really isn't the kind of transaction that is likely to raise the ire of regulators that are supposed to be looking at competitive concerns because Elon Musk doesn't have a present position or at least a known present position in ownership of social media platforms. You really have to kind of make a tenuous argument that just conglomeration and his other interests in other companies causes a problem, and that is never the strongest kind of antitrust regulatory concern. Doesn't mean the EU couldn't say something, just in general, because they're concerned about social media. Doesn't mean the FTC couldn't, but it does make it less likely, and you can see this agreement really doesn't contemplate it as a major roadblock, as we saw in the Microsoft and Activision transaction. Then you get a little bit of a discussion of the financing. You also get a statement realistically to the journalists of the world. We saw this happen in the prior deals that we've discussed in virtual legality that says, hey, there's going to be representations and warranties in this agreement. We're going to say things about collective bargaining. We're going to say things about our contracts. These are not for you. These are not statements made for truth. In fact, as they describe here, this is the exact way that I was taught as a transactional lawyer. These should not be treated as categorical statements of fact, but rather as a way of allocating the risk to one of the parties if those statements prove to be inaccurate. Where you've got Twitter and Elon Musk on opposite sides of the negotiating table, and maybe both sides don't know whether something or or not is true in what they would put forth in the representations of warranties. The decision isn't actually whether it's true, it's who should have to pay, who should be liable if it's not true. Should it be Twitter with respect to a certain promise? Should it be Elon Musk? And you frame the language in those sections in order to allocate the risk as the parties negotiate, but just reading the document doesn't get you to that place. And that's why we see some strange reporting in places on these kinds of things. They also note that these particular representations and warranties may be qualified by a disclosure letter. We talked about that before. Basically, these companies, both Elons and Twitter, will have a letter that says, although I said this particular promise, here are the ways in which that promise is not true. That gets put over to the other side as part of their diligence in forming this agreement, and we don't necessarily see those, so you again can't take the reps and warranties as true just categorically. They may apply contractual standards of materiality as a concept that are different from securities laws, and were only made as of the date of the merger agreement or whatever date they actually reference. So uh, that's a long way of saying don't just read the reps and warranties as true statements of fact regarding Twitter or Elon's companies or Elon himself we also see the poison pill plan addressed and we'll take a look at this amendment uh, at the end of this document which in all total is about 95 pages long but basically they say as this came in we amended the poison pill plan to say it doesn't count for this merger agreement i know a number of you asked me about that as well and that's the summary not a lot of detail there for things that we might otherwise uh, be concerned about but also very indicative of what's a pretty standard one-tier cash offer, fully financed public company kind of purchase, which means there isn't a lot that is actually terribly odd in this document. Here we see the three companies, X Holdings 1, X Holdings 2, and Twitter in the merger agreement itself. As I mentioned, it's 71 pages long. I know we're already 15 minutes in, I promise you, I'm not gonna go over every word of all 71 pages. Although I know there's some uh, masochistic commenters that'll say, oh yeah, that would be a great idea. I really, I really don't think it would be, but I appreciate uh, your support all the same. Here we get the initial description of the reverse triangular merger. Whereas the party's desire for parent, that's X Holdings 1, to acquire the company, the company is a defined term as Twitter, by way of a merger of acquisition sub, that's X Holdings 2, with and into the company, we're gonna do all these things on the following 71 pages. And I promised you a picture. I do like to meet my promises. As you can see here, this is what a reverse triangular merger looks like. And there's a number of reasons why you frame out an acquisition of a company this way. We talked about this when Elon Musk was forming his X Holding companies. But suffice it to say, you can take your holding company here, X1, which owns X2, and you can merge X2 into Twitter so that at the end of all of that, because of the magic of the Delaware corporate code and everything else, at the end of this, X1 will simply own Twitter. And that's advantageous because Twitter as an entity, never ceases to exist. And the many, many contracts that Twitter currently has, whatever operational capacity it has, you don't want it to cease to exist because that can create problems with its contracts, that can create problems with assigning assets and all sorts of things, tax issues. And so the representatives of Elon Musk and Twitter would have looked at this and said, reverse triangular is the way to go. And so at the end of this, X1 will own Twitter. Now, interestingly, there's actually also an X3, which is part of the financing program. Uh, That's got the margin note in it, but doesn't really meet the ownership. It's just going to fund X2 to get this done. So I didn't include it in this picture because, frankly, I thought it was complicated enough. But that's what's happening here. At the end of this, X1 will own Twitter, probably get renamed. In all honesty, I think the Xs are placeholder names, as you might as well. But that is the transaction uh, and that's really the most common tra- transaction when you're purchasing a company because there is usefulness to having the Twitters of the world or the Activisions or the Bethesdas or zenimaxs survive the transaction itself just for ease of record keeping as well as some tax benefits. Now you see the same description here. At the effective time, acquisition sub, that's X2, shall be merged with and into the company, that's Twitter, whereupon the separate existence of acquisition subs shall cease and the company shall continue under the name Twitter Inc. as the surviving corporation. What happens to all this stock? Well, each share of common stock of acquisition sub, that's X2, issued an outstanding immediately prior to the effective time when the actual deal is consummated, shall be converted into one fully paired share of common stock of the surviving corporation. X2 becomes Twitter. Each share of common stock of the company held by the equity investor, that's Elon Musk, parent or acquisition sub. Automatically be canceled, so all of those shares go away, and then each share of company common stock that's Twitter stock immediately outstanding prior to the effective time shall be converted into that $54.20. We talked about X2 becomes Twitter, Elon's other stock goes away, and primarily that's just because we don't want for tax purposes or financial reasons we don't want Elon to pay himself, uh, so those go away, and then every other share of Twitter that's outstanding, where all this big money comes from gets paid $54.20 per share. So again, even though it's complicated, even though it's legalese, even though they're only using half of a page when they do this kind of stuff, that is very easy to understand as far as these things go. Then you get a section in the merger agreement that talks about logistics. People have asked about that. Folks get letters of transmittal. They have to turn their certificates back in. there will be an agent to handle wiring. there will be a holding fund for how this money gets out. And then I wanted to reference here section 3.5 because we did talk about it yesterday. Dissenting shares, notwithstanding any other provision of this agreement to the contrary, to the extent that holders thereof are entitled to appraisal rights under the Delaware law or similar appraisal or dissenter rights under any other applicable law, shares of company common stock issued not standing immediately prior to the effective time and held by a holder who has properly exercised and perfected his or her demand for appraisal or dissenter's rights under that law, shall not be converted into the right to receive the merger consideration. So as I said yesterday, there's a provision in the Delaware law that says, look, I don't think that's a fair price. I'm going to ask the Delaware Court of Chancery to evaluate the fair market price of the shares, and I'm going to take what I get from that process instead of the $54.20. I also said, because this is publicly traded stock, because you can see what it's worth in a purely fair market kind of way, it's probably not terribly useful and I wouldn't expect a lot of dissent, but you never know. This is a fairly big, fairly odd deal. And if you do go down that road, perfecting here, meaning that you file the right documents, you give the right notices, then you will have another process that says you don't get the merger consideration, but as we see in the next sentence, your shares still go away. The deal is still allowed to be consummated. It's just that the price for your shares hasn't yet been decided and you'll go through that process with the Delaware Court of Chancery. So even though at the top I said, hey, you're going to go along with a majority vote, you don't have to go along with the price, the details. You will sell your Twitter stock, but you can fight for a different amount of consideration, which I don't know will be a winner in this particular context, uh, but you do have the option to do it under Delaware law. Then we get a big section that talks about the employee benefits and the options that we saw uh, summarized up at the top. And then we get representations and warranties here of the company. Right, What is Twitter promising to Elon Musk? And you see the reference to the disclosure letter. So it's except as disclosed in the disclosure letter, except as we might otherwise say in SEC documents, which come in above all of this, the company hereby represents and warrants to parent and acquisition sub, X Holdings 1 and X Holdings 2, Elon Musk, as follows. Hey, we're qualified as a company in good standing, as are our subsidiaries. Here's what the capitalization of the company is so that you know, because hey, You're buying us. We have the authority to enter into this agreement. It doesn't conflict with laws or with our governing documents or with other things. We have the right permits to actually operate Twitter. We're in compliance with laws as we do operate Twitter. We have filed the right SEC documents. We've given the right information. We've done the right things in terms of our disclosures and controlling our financial reporting. We don't have extra liabilities. We haven't had changes in events since the top of this year that you might not otherwise be aware of. We don't have litigation that you might not know about. Our employee benefit plans are just so, and there aren't issues with those. We don't have collective bargaining or other labor issues. We don't have problems with the ownership of our intellectual property. We've paid our taxes. Here are our material contracts, and they are still above board. Nobody is in breach. And then we get some interesting things, right? Section 417, reserved. Section 418, reserved. You might say, why are these reserved? Well, realistically, it's because you don't want to kill your cross-references. You don't want to screw up your numbering late in the day, and this came in hot, right? This is only about 11 days of discussion and probably much, much fewer in terms of actually drafting this document. These are things that probably, because Twitter is the one giving the promises here, Twitter didn't want to give. And so they pulled them from the document and they won on that piece of negotiation. So whatever they were supposed to promise in 4.17 came out, whatever they were supposed to promise in 4.18 came out, because you don't want to mess with the numbering, you put a big giant reserved here or intentionally omitted or whatever else your lawyers like to say when you're saying this section doesn't exist, but we didn't want to screw up the rest of the document. Then we get some interesting ones. Section 419, takeover statutes. Assuming the accuracy of the representations contained in 5.8, the company board has taken such actions and votes as are necessary to render the provisions of any fair price, moratorium, control share acquisition, or any other takeover or anti-takeover statute or similar federal or state law inapplicable to this agreement, the merger, or any other transactions contemplated by this agreement. Right? Lawyers saying a lot with a lot of words. But ultimately, this goes back to earlier videos in this playlist that said, hey, Delaware has an anti-takeover statute that says, hey, if you trip 15%, you got to wait three years until you can go and consummate the rest of your deal. This says, since the board's approving this, we're going through the right steps. None of that will apply. I actually probably would have liked to see A Delaware reference here they didn't include that but that's what this is for they also say in 420 the adoption of this agreement by the affirmative vote of a majority of the outstanding shares of company common stock entitled to vote to adopt this agreement are the only votes of holders of securities of the company that are required to consummate the merger we don't have other stockholders agreements in play we don't have preferred stock we're not doing anything weird you get that 50 plus plus one share at the company common stock level that's all that is required to get this deal approved And different companies obviously will say different things there. I also highlighted here that section 425 said there's no other reps or warranties. These are the exclusive promises that Twitter is making. That's a Twitter win in negotiations. Oftentimes an acquirer will try to get what I generally call a 10B5 rep, but basically says, and you didn't forget to tell us anything uh, as a representation. There aren't any lies or omissions here that make this a little bit unclear to us. And this is a common fight when you're negotiating these deals here. Twitter one. These are the only promises that you are getting. So those are Twitter's promises, and then we see them reflected in the promises that Elon Musk's companies have to give to Twitter, except as disclosed in the parent disclosure letter. Parent and acquisition sub, hereby jointly and severally, that's legal for both of us, represent and warrant to the company as follows. Hey, we're organized properly. We have the authority to enter into this agreement. This doesn't conflict with our governing documents or law. And then we have the proper financing. This is actually the biggest, probably most heavily negotiated section here. Parent has delivered to the company true, correct, and complete copies of the duly executed debt commitment letters from Morgan Stanley. And at the end of the day, we're going to get this money to you. The aggregate proceeds from the financing are sufficient in amount to provide parent and acquisition sub with the funds necessary to consummate the transactions contemplated hereby. And I am skipping some of the detail work here. These are bank documents. There's effectively three that are going into the various entities, one from Elon himself. uh, And that's very complicated, but suffice it to say, this is what they care about. At the end of the day, there's enough money in a pool at X Holdings 2 to pay the shareholders of Twitter for what you have promised to pay them. You also have an ownership of the company rep. As of the date hereof, the equity investor parent and acquisition sub, beneficially own in the aggregate. 73,115,038 73,115,038 shares of the company's common stock and none of parent acquisition sub or any of their respective directors, officers, general partners or affiliates has been a quote unquote interested stockholder as defined in section 203 of the DGCL, it's Delaware law, of the company in each case during the three years prior to the date of this agreement. So there is your other check, right? We didn't accidentally trip the anti-takeover statute. We've never been a 15% shareholder of this particular company. So neither of us have to worry about that particular law. And that's important even from the company side, uh, because a shareholder could come out and say, hey, he went over and he should have been locked out of this and I don't want to sell it to him. And then lawsuits and lawsuits and lawsuits. Chances are there'll be lawsuits anyway, Uh, but you do try to get out in front of them if you're the lawyers of really either side of an agreement like this. Then we get into some promises, covenants and agreements in the vernacular of the lawyer. Conduct of business by the company pending the merger. So this document was signed, right? It was announced as signed. This is a commitment of both parties with a potentially billion dollar price tag on doing bad things under the agreement. But as I've mentioned, Twitter is not yet owned by Elon Musk. Twitter is still functionally its own entity. So you have to have a provision in here that says, well, between now and then, you have to not do really weird stuff. The company covenants and agrees that between the date of this agreement and the earlier of the effective time, and if this is terminated, except as may be required by law, as may be agreed to by Elon Musk, as may be expressly required or permitted pursuant to this agreement itself, or is set forth in a separate disclosure letter. Hey, these are the things we're going to do. The company shall use its commercially reasonable efforts to conduct the business of the company and its subsidiaries in the ordinary course of business. And to the extent consistent therewith, the company shall use its commercially reasonable efforts to preserve substantially intact the material components of its current business organization and to preserve, in all material respects, its present relationships with key customers, suppliers, and other persons with which it has material business relations. And then there are some exceptions, particularly with respect to COVID-19 compliance, but that's the important thrust of this particular section you won't do anything weird with the company that I've otherwise committed to buy at this specific price. And ordinarily, that's not a really difficult promise for a company to give. It's deciding to sell itself after all. But this really isn't an ordinary situation. So if you go and you look at various articles that are being written about this, there are a lot of folks, especially at Twitter, that are very concerned about this transaction. Here from the Politico Twitter's top lawyer reassures staff cries during meeting about Musk takeover. Vijay Gotti, a key executive involved in decisions to remove former President Donald Trump and ban political advertising, expressed uncertainty about the future of the platform. Now here I did highlight the bot. Shortly after billionaire Elon Musk bought the powerful social media platform, has not happened yet. Don't use past tense, writers. Ghadi cried during the meeting as she expressed concerns about how the company could change according to three people familiar with the meeting. Now, I honestly don't sit here and think that this is terribly out of order. If you've been working on something for a very long time and it's just been swept out from under you, I actually don't blame anybody for having this amount of emotionality. Obviously, it's not great to have reported on from the office of something like a general counsel, a head lawyer at the company. But I'm also very sympathetic to this, regardless of how one feels about Elon Musk. Gade, who has worked at Twitter since 2011, is the key executive charged with overseeing Twitter's trust and safety, legal and public policy functions. She is seen internally as Twitter's moral authority and the executive tasked with handling sensitive issues like harassment and dangerous speech. And now we get a little bit clearer picture of some of the reaction here, right? This is the person really at the top of Elon Musk's hit list, if we're being honest. Everything that he has said about the problems that he has with Twitter really originates with this kind of moral authority concept that Twitter has taken for itself. And this is apparently the embodiment of that concept. Certainly here in Virtual Legality, I've talked at length about the ambiguities of Twitter's terms of service, how they're enforcing them, problematic statements made uh, by their CEO, etc., etc. And so I really am sympathetic again with seeing what you thought was the thing that you were building taken out from under you. But it is, in fact, being taken out from under you, and that appears to be part of the reason that this is so contentious. God, I played a leading role in negotiating the deal between Twitter and Musk, as you would expect from general counsel. According to one person familiar with the dynamics, she has shepherded Twitter through some of its most contentious political battles, including the decisions to remove all political advertising and to boot former President Donald Trump from the platform in the wake of the January 6th attack on Capitol Hill, a position that has earned her devoted fans within Twitter, as well as a large contingent of right-wing critics. I think everyone at Twitter, regardless of how they feel about the news, is feeling reflective and emotional, said one Twitter employee, and I don't blame them for that. We've gone through a lot in the past two years, and I think it's generally instigated a lot of reflection. I think this was more of an acknowledgement of the uncertainty everyone is feeling right now than anything terribly bad. And Honestly, again, I'm somewhat sympathetic to that particular position. Musk has called for Twitter to truly embrace free speech, and has advocated for open sourcing Twitter's algorithm and removing all spam bots from the platform. Most significantly, Musk has signaled he supports vastly loosening the company's content moderation policies, suggesting it should only remove content if it is required by law. Gade herself has advocated strongly for ensuring that Twitter's policies protect its most vulnerable users while protecting free expression, a position that is at odds with Musk's got holds one of the most controversial positions at Twitter her teams decide how to moderate content that's made her a target of right-wing criticism particularly when Twitter blocked the distribution of a New York Post article about President Joe Biden's son Hunter Biden in 2020 now here i have to take an objection i don't believe you have to be limited to a right-wing thinker to object to a social media platform striking down and making things banned for sharing an article from a major media outlet, right? I did a video on this in virtual reality. I said, who censors the censors? And this is the kind of thing that I react to uh, saying, who is deciding what's misinformation and what's not? And Twitter took this upon itself. And I realistically am on the side of saying that that isn't an appropriate position for Twitter to take. Now is Elon Musk's position appropriate? I don't know. He's mostly just puffing and saying various things as it stands right now, but In terms of when Twitter actually took this step, I think that was probably Twitter's worst moment. It wasn't banning Donald Trump. It wasn't really banning any specific users, but actually banning and killing the sharing of that kind of information, regardless of how you feel about it, really does kill the spirit of a forum for ideas, a battle of ideas. Evaluate it. Point out the holes in the New York Post article. But you can't do that if someone at Twitter is saying you're not even allowed to see it. And you can go check out my thoughts in that video. I think in fact, YouTube demonetized it. They might've even threatened a strike for me on that particular video. These things happen with respect to technology platforms, but please do check it out because I don't think you have to be a Biden hater. I don't think you have to be a Trump supporter to look at that action from Twitter and saying that is going too far. I think even Jack Dorsey wound up saying that while he was still with the company. But suffice it to say, when we're talking about keeping the company going in the way it has been going, this kind of news article for purposes of a merger agreement becomes pretty interesting. Perhaps not nearly as interesting, however, as the other reports that are coming out, including from Bloomberg and Yahoo Finance here. Twitter locks down product changes after agreeing to Musk bid. Twitter Inc locked down changes to its social networking platform through Friday after accepting a $44 billion bid from billionaire Elon Musk, making it harder for employees to make unauthorized changes according to people familiar with the matter. For now, Twitter won't allow product updates unless they're business critical, said the people, who asked not to be identified because the situation is private. Product changes will require approval from a vice president, the people said. Twitter imposed the temporary ban to keep employees who may be miffed about the deal from going rogue, according to one of the people. Now, if they were to quote unquote go rogue and destroy or otherwise alter the product at which they work. These are major problems and major considerations, probably, depending on what happens, illegal with respect to the obligations of an employee and whatever contracts have entered into, et cetera, et cetera. So you're already getting news reports that Twitter may or may not have a problem with an employee revolt and things along those lines, which make these kinds of provisions all the more important, especially in this context, more important than they usually are To be quite frank, now maybe that's just preventative, maybe things are okay at Twitter. And again, both of those stories, the Politico's and the Bloomberg Yahoo Finance, are all anonymously sourced, so take those with a grain of salt. But it does present an interesting context for what is proving to be a very interesting deal. Now, among other things, they also highlight the things that definitely can't happen, not just changes to the product line you can't amend the company's certificate of incorporation you can't split the company's capital stock you can't issue more stock you can't increase the compensation payable to your executives you can't do things like grant bonuses that aren't in accordance with your ordinary course of business enter into new collective bargaining agreements enter into contracts that are too long you can't start trying to saddle us with bad assets because at a functional level this is elon musk's company it just is going to take a little while to go through the legal process. You also have here promises that both parties will get on board with trying to get a proxy and shareholder vote done as soon as possible in accordance with SEC rules, that they'll work together to get the regulatory filings done with the SEC and the other antitrust regulators. And then that here in section 6.5, you get that big summary item that was apparently very important to Elon Musk. I don't really blame him on this, that says Twitter can't shop around right? We saw on Monday that one of the last sticking points was that Twitter wanted to have the ability to shop around. Obviously, Elon Musk didn't want that. Elon Musk won that piece of the negotiation. This is market standard to say, hey, if we're entering into a merger agreement like this, you can't just go and solicit other bids. We saw that summarized. It's summarized here again. Uh, In the interest of time, we're just going to skip through some of the language here, but it is as summarized. The board can't just go and shop the company, but can comply with its fiduciary duties as said here. You can do these various things. You can act against this merger agreement if the company board has determined in good faith after consultation with its legal and financial advisors that the failure to take such action would reasonably be expected to be inconsistent with the company's director's fiduciary duties under applicable law. Board always has to be concerned with this. That's right. The acquirer shouldn't want them to be breaching their fiduciary duties in any event. And so you get provisions like that with a notation that a superior proposal requires somebody purchasing at least 90% of the company. Then you say, hey, if we buy this, if Elon Musk actually consolidates here and consummates this transaction, the directors and officers of Twitter will continue to be as protected as they are under their current identification provisions. Again, very standard. We will continue the employee benefits for at least a year. This is something that Twitter likely would have asked for or it was offered as just generally market that says the employees of Twitter will get the same wages, the same salaries, they'll get the same benefits, they'll get the same incentives for at least a year uh, going forward from when Twitter actually changes hands to be owned by Elon Musk. That's a very protective provision for the employees that are going to move forward. That's nice to see. Uh, and then I think we're going to get into the, the termination and antitrust concepts as we scroll down a little bit past all the financing stuff, conditions to the merger. The stockholders need to approve it. The waiting period for the HSR Act and other antitrust countries has to be expired. And the government authorities of all those jurisdictions can't have put in a law specifically looking to block this transaction. Uh, The terminations are, as we've discussed, October 24th, 2022 is a natural termination date with the exception of one or the other party being the only party to breach and you can force the deal on them. Or if a regulatory body hasn't yet signed off on the antitrust type of things, next we get section eight, which is going to talk about the uh, billion dollars that each owes and then the general provisions of the agreement. So a little fast we went through it pretty quickly in terms of that language but you did get to the end of the merger agreement these general rules are the governing law this is how you're supposed to read it no third party beneficiaries etc cetera, etc cetera. nothing terribly unusual in those sections and then we can see the countries that they're worried about in terms of antitrust as we get to exhibit A down here the united states the state of delaware which isn't likely to come up japan the united kingdom and the European Commission. Interestingly enough, China isn't on that list when you usually see it. As I understand it, Twitter isn't available in China. If you know better than me on that, please leave a comment to this video. But ordinarily, you'd see China in this list. And I think that Twitter isn't available there, which is why you don't. But they sh- they're the same list in both spots, which is the second spot here is who's gonna make a law against us. This first spot is who's gonna approve it on a regulatory basis. They're concerned about the US, the EU, United Kingdom, and Japan. Those are very normal here. I honestly don't anticipate a regulatory issue, but you don't know because this is tech, this is social media, and there could be something that we're not expecting from those particular bodies. You then also get a preferred stock rights agreement here, amendment that I talked about says, as long as the merger agreement is not terminated, none of the approval, execution, delivery, or performance of the merger agreement or the consummation of the transactions shall result in, or in any way, permit any rights to be exercised under this agreement. So folks asked me about that. Hey, they've got that poison pill in effect here. The board says it stays because we don't want Elon to screw around and do something that goes around the horn in a way that we can't anticipate. The poison pill shield stays, but as far as this merger concerns as described in this agreement, this will be allowed. If it gets terminated, if it tries to be done in a different way, that poison pill will still be blocking out that particular situation. And that seems like a perfectly fine way to handle this. The last thing I wanted to mention, and we covered it briefly in looking at the summary at the top of that particular document, is a different SEC filing that actually happened about an hour uh, before we went live recording this video, is that there's a limited guarantee of Elon Musk backstopping that billion dollars. And if you think about this, if Elon doesn't do anything to put the money into X Holdings one or X Holdings two or work with X Holdings three, then they're really just shell companies. So Twitter having some kind of right to get a billion dollars from those companies doesn't do them a lot of help. So what they got instead was a separate document from Elon Musk that says, the guarantor, that's Musk, hereby absolutely, unconditionally, and irrevocably guarantees to the guaranteed party, that's Twitter, on the terms and conditions set forth herein, the due, complete, and punctual payment, observance, performance, and discharge of the payment obligations of parent, that's X Holdings One, with respect to the parent termination fee, that's the billion dollars, any other reimbursement identification or payment obligations of the parent, as long as they in no event shall exceed that billion-dollar cap. And to other lawyers out there or other clients that are looking for long documents, I would note this is an unconditional limited guarantee having a value of a billion dollars and it's basically a three-page document, right? You don't need 25 pages to write this thing. You don't need a hundred different provisions. Elon Musk says, I'll owe you a billion dollars if... It comes to it. And that was all done in very, very little legal language. So that is hopefully, in your opinion, a fairly short walkthrough of everything that's going on in this particular document. Elon Musk is set to buy Twitter shares for $54.20. It's clear that the company has certain concerns about dealing with its obligation to deliver the company as it existed when this deal was first signed. That will be interesting to follow. It will be interesting to follow Whether regulators get involved, what else happens here, we don't know, but you can be sure we'll be covering it in virtual legality. If you like conversations like this one about the technology and business and law of everything else that's going on in the news, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Utreon to support us with. We've got a Patreon to support us with. Or if you don't like either of those, just subscribing, telling your friends, having conversations, engaging with this channel on the platform is super, super helpful to us and I am thankful to everyone that chooses to do it.